Let us pray. Our most eternal and everlasting Father, King of kings and Lord of lords, it is our highest privilege to approach the throne of grace because we have a high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who prays on our behalf so that we could have confidence that you do hear us. We bring before you this morning members of this body that are not here due to ill health. You are the true physician. And we know you can heal. You have demonstrated it times and times without number. So we are confident that when we ask you that we can believe and expect you to graciously heal. So we pray for these individuals. You know who they are. And you know how to heal each and every one of them according to your uh, majestic plan. We pray now that uh, as we have gathered together, we recognize that the human mind is incapable of focusing or concentrating on truth apart from the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. So it is a request, Heavenly Father, that you cause each and every one of us to focus and to hear precisely what you have for us this morning. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We are still in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 5 through 13, where we are dealing with the death of some Israelites in the desert. I'll begin, I'll begin to read in verse 7. It says, Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not taste the Lord as some of them did. And were killed by snakes. And do not grumble. As some of them did. And were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them. As examples. And were written down as warning for us. On whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm. Be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you, except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out, so that you can stand up under it. Now recall the message of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 5-13. through 13 is that enjoyment of God's blessings under a good spiritual leader will not shield you from being and from his judgment if you displease him. Now in our last study, we began to consider the first of the evils that some of the Israelites of Exodus uh, generation desired or were guilty that led to their death that we are warned against. The first evil desire of some of the Israelites concerns idolatry. 
Hence we have the command of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 7 when it says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were. Now because of this command, we briefly examined the subject of idolatry and identified modern forms of idolatry. But we did not apply these uh, to the command that we have. So it is with application that we begin our study this morning. The instruction of the Holy Spirit through Apostle Paul, as we have indicated, is do not be idolaters. So, how are we to apply this instruction to ourselves who no longer worship idols or images as representation of God? Now we are to apply it based on the form idolatry manifests itself today as we considered in our previous study. Therefore, the command not to become idolaters or not to be involved in idolatry implies that we should not be those who are devoted to things of this life more than God. In other words, we should not be devoted to anything in this life more than God, or we should not be more loyal to anything or any person than God. So we are saying that the Holy Spirit commands us not to be devoted or committed to anything or anyone more than we are committed to God. Put in another way, we should be those who have wholehearted commitment to God and anything related to Him. Who had said commitment to God and anything related to Him. That's the kind of person we should be. Now, how does a believer though go about being devoted to God? It begins by recognizing that God demands us to have wholehearted commitment to Him. God commands us to be devoted to Him. As we read, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. It is Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. See, the idea of total devotion to God is first implied in the word love. Love. See, the word love here involves not only affection but also devotion and commitment. So, believers are expected to be devoted completely to God in every way, as implied then in the use of the word all three times in this verse that we're looking at. So, in effect, we are commanded to be devoted to the Lord 
in all we think and in all we do. The idea of total devotion to the Lord is implied in the instruction that requires believers to seek the Lord with their entire being. As we also find, for example, in Psalms 119 verse 2. Psalms 119 verse 2. Psalms 119 verse 2 reads Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. So the psalmist declared that those who are in a state of happiness and joy are those who are totally committed to the word of God in the sense that they devote themselves to his study and application. You see the phrase, with all the heart of Psalm 119 verse 2, means total commitment that implies full devotion to the Lord, so that those who seek the Lord in the sense of avoiding anything that will distract them from being totally devoted to the Lord are those who are happy. They are those who are happy. So that if you are not totally devoted to the Lord, you can't really be totally happy, so to say, also on this planet. Now that aside, we contend though that total devotion to the Lord is conveyed in the phrase with all their heart. Now the same concept of devotion to the Lord is also given in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. It is, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So this passage requires that we believers should devote ourselves to God as that is implied in the verbal phrase when it says, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Now the phrase, your bodies, is really to be understood uh, to mean yourselves, yourselves. So that the believers, uh, as believers, we are urged to dedicate our entire person, that is body and soul, to God and to His service. We are to be devoted to the Lord in every way so that we can view ourselves as if we are dead or those still living. Since sacrifice normally involves death of an animal, but we are to be living sacrifices. 
So that means we consider ourselves dead. Although we are living. Dead to so many things. So anyway, the point is that if we remember this passage, then we should not be devoted to anything more than God. It's a person who is dead has no knowledge of things around him. Oh. Now, we are living we were called sacrifices. That means we are dead in some way. And that is, we are dead into the sense that nothing in this planet should overtake our devotion to the Lord. Nothing. And no one for, for that matter too. Again, we ask, how does a believer go about ensuring that the individual is more loyal, uh, is not uh, more loyal to anything or anyone in this life than God. How do we go about doing that? I want to say again, it is by having the mindset that nothing is to be compared to the knowledge of God. Now that's a very simple statement. You have a mindset that there's nothing on this planet that should be compared to your knowledge of God. Nothing. Now this understanding is reflected by Apostle Paul when he indicated that whatever that was advantageous to him was nothing compared to the knowledge of Christ as we read in Philippians chapter 3 verses 7 and 8. Philippians Chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 reads, But whatever was to my profit, and I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more? I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. See what he's saying? Nothing. He says, there's nothing that can be compared to it. That's, that's why he said, surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them Rubbish that I may gain Christ. That's the attitude of the apostle Paul. That typifies what we're talking about. Where nothing is, can be considered equal to the knowledge of Jesus Christ or knowledge of God. So, a believer who will avoid being an idolater in the sense of avoiding being more loyal. To anything or anyone more than God must be convinced of the reality of God and the blessings of worshiping Him. So you have to have that com- conviction of His reality and the tremendous blessing of worshiping Him. Now, the person must believe that God is constantly concerned with those who are 
totally committed to him. That's when you have to accept that he is totally concerned and committed to all those who seek him. This is as Hanani, the seer, assured King Asa, as we read in Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. Chapter 16, verse 9. 2 Chronicles, chapter 16, verse 9 reads, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. My concern is not uh, what he did, but the fact that here God will strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That is his commitment to you, really. That he will strengthen you if you are fully committed to him. So if you are convinced, not only that God is ever present to care for you, but that he rewards faithfulness. He rewards faithfulness to him. Then you will find yourself being more devoted to him than anything or anyone else in this life. Now how can you really show that you are devoted to God more than anything material? How can you show that? The fundamental way we show that we are devoted to the Lord begins with being devoted to the Word of God. That's where it begins. That's how you know. And I'm going to be expanding. That's where it begins. Now we say, we always say, well, talk is cheap. It's cheap to even sing, oh, I love Jesus. Yeah. There's nothing but air coming out of your mouth. The way we know it is the action of what we're looking at, how you're devoted to the Word of God. In effect, if you are devoted to the Lord, that must show itself first in your devotion to the study of the Word of God that then will lead to its application. That is what I say. You begin first by being devoted to the study of his word. Then that you, of course, you never stop there. If you stop there, it's still incomplete. It then leads to the application. So that's what we're looking at. That you prove that. Don't run around and say, well, I love the Lord so much. As we hear around here, especially in the Bible Belt, everyone is a believer, you know. Everyone is a Christian. Because they go to church. But that's really not true, we know, but that's just the way things are in, in the perception of people. 
But the reality is that if you say you love the Lord, show it by your devotion to His word and His application. Now this kind of devotion actually characterized the early church that were devoted to the teaching of the word of God as we read in Acts chapter 2 verse 42. Acts Acts chapter 2 Chapter 2, verse 42. It reads, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So the early church was devoted to the teaching by the apostles. Implying, of course, today that a pastor's devotion to the Lord must be evident in his devotion to the teaching of God's word so to enable believers learn God's word. Now, we learn this requirement not only because the apostles of the apostles' devotion to the teaching of the word of God, but also because the Lord Jesus conveyed to Apostle Peter that the way to show his commitment to him is by teaching believers. As we read in John chapter 21 verse 15. John chapter 21 verse 15. John 21 verse 15 It reads When they had finished eating Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon Son of John Do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord He said You know that I love you Good. Look at what the Lord said. Jesus said, Feed my lamb. See that the Lord's command, Feed my lamb, implies teaching of the word of God to believers. So this aside then, the truth is that if you must be devoted to the Lord above everything, your devotion must begin with being totally committed to studying God's word. Now this of course requires you align yourself with a pastor that is devoted to the study of the word of God so that you have someone that teaches you the word of God on a consistent basis. Now it is easy to think that you are devoted to the word of God because you go to a Bible teaching church. That's a fallacy. 
You think because you go to a, a Bible teaching church that you must be devoted. And I'm saying it is easy to think really that you are devoted to the word of God because you go to a Bible teaching church. That in and of itself does not prove you are devoted to the word of God. That is what I say. That in of itself. For example, suppose you don't miss here every, every Sunday. You don't miss any Wednesday. You know. But in hate and all the other things, you don't miss. Well, I'm saying that in and of itself does not mean that you're devoted to the word of God. As many times I've said, Kobe has become a habit. Somewhere to go on Sunday morning. Somewhere to go on Wednesday night. It can be a habit. There's much more to that. That's what I'm trying to get to us. So that's why I say that in, that in and of itself does not prove you are devoted to the word of God. So you ask me there, what's the proof? Well, the proof of your devotion to the word of God is to be seen in the time you spend in the study of the word of God privately. That's what I said. The study of the word of God privately. Not publicly as we are now. Privately. Now it is probably difficult for some of us to conceive the point I'm making. So let me provide you a test to help in a practical way that will enable you to decide if you are really or deeply committed to the study of God's word. So I like to be practical. I don't believe in just telling you, this is good to this. Let's be practical about it. So that we expand the Bible in that way. So, you have to uh, show in a practical way that you are. Now you can do this though. This is how you want to do. Now I know some of you, you hear me and you just go home, it don't matter, it don't, it don't bother you. And I know there are those, it does bother a whole lot. There's some, they just say, oh, okay, he said it, that's okay. And they go their way, yeah, that's fine. That's fine with you and the Lord, not me. Anyway, so what I'm saying is that what you do is to compare or by comparing the time you spend in the study of the word of God outside going to church to the time you spend on other activities. See what I say? Compare the time privately, not coming here, privately. Compare that time to the time you spend in other activities, which I'm going to elaborate. So, the way you do this is, again, you compare the time spent, you spend in the study of the Word of God to the time you spend in anything else other than work. See, that's the thing. You see, see, you have to begin to understand. I'm not saying do like every pastor should be supposed to do. Eight or nine, ten hours every day. That's not, no. Because you have to do some other work. 
So this is why I'm explaining. I say, I said, walk. See, walk is commanded by God. So, subtract the number of hours you are at work from the time available for you to do other things in life daily. Now may I add, when I say work, I don't always mean the eight hours you spend at the office or nine or whatever, how many hours you do. It will also include the work you do to maintain your home. That's part of work. Now of course, that's why you have to be you have to balance yourself. Because that can also be a trap. In other words, we have to be put many hours working at home. To the point that you ignore your devotion to the world. Because there are so you know, for many of us there are always a lot of things to do in the house. Yes. That can also be a trap. So this is why there has to be a balance. But if the one you have to go and make your living, you don't have a choice. You're supposed to put 10 hours, 8 hours, and that you must do. But we're talking about after that. Look at the hours left. Now, one thing you do is, as I'm emphasizing, is time at work. And whatever is left, that's where you begin, and you know, take care of home and all that. That's what you begin to do. Anyway, so then you compare the time you spend in pleasure or entertainment. And may I add, these days that means how much time you keep doing this way with your phone, whatever it is that you do, tweet or whatever it is. Look at that. That include that as part of entertainment today. See, people don't think about this. They just think, I'm talking about going to a movie or whatever, going to a place. For. No, that, all those are entertainment. But these days, include that. Because a whole lot of people spend time, bend this way, on that phone today. And for a whole lot of people, it has become so distracting that the, the, you know, the slightest three minutes they have, they reach out for their phone. Now so, once you begin to compare that time with the time you spend in the Word of God, you will get a sense of what takes more of your time. If anything then, other than work, takes more of your time than spending time in the Word of God, you are probably not devoted to the word of God as you should. Now here's the thing, you know, sometimes when I teach these things, I, I realize some of you will hear me and say, yeah, yeah, right. Well, it's not really, it's not personal. I don't see it personal. That's why I may teach things and I see you do the opposite. I just walk, go by. It doesn't concern me in one way because it's not for me. But here is the thing I have to do as a pastor. Is to 
cause you, especially adults, those who are adults, you know what I'm about to say. Uh, those who are still growing teenagers and young, they don't probably won't understand it anyway. There's not an adult here that cannot look back at his or her life and say, I wish I didn't do this at that point. Uh, you say, no, you're not? Oh, yeah. Forgot you're a perfect human being. But if you're like the rest of us, there are things you look back and say, I wish I didn't do that. But you can't correct it. You can't change it. It's all gone. The thing I'm using that to bring to you is as a believer. This is the only time you and I can make any correction. Because once we close our eyes and open it in heaven, it's all done. Anything you didn't achieve on this planet, it's all gone. If that means you go to heaven with no reward. If that's what you want to do, ignore what I tell you when I teach. That's all I can say. Ignore it. If that's all you want, get down to heaven and say, oh yeah, nice, I'm in heaven. And you look at all these other believers, decorating. Huh? If that's all you want, be my guest. Ignore what I tell you. Anyway, so the first way, we obey them the command, do not be idolaters, is to ensure we are more devoted to God than anything else in this life. Now, another way, we obey the command, do not be idolaters, is of course by avoidance of greed. We have, of course, considered in the past how to avoid greed. We will review here now. When faced with the desire to have more things to the point that you are tempted to ignore God, then there are two facts that you should remember to help you deal with greed. There are two facts. The first is to remember that material possessions are not transferable from this world to the next. Remember that. You don't transfer anything. In other words, you should remember that you brought nothing into the world when you arrived. When you arrived in this, this planet. And in the same way that you will take nothing out of it when you exit. In other words, you came in with nothing, you go with, live with nothing. Except for one thing. You came in spiritually dead, now as a believer you live in spiritual alive. So, the only thing that you take from this world to go is nothing material. It has to be that word of God that's inside of your soul. That's the only thing that you take out. Even that you can't. Because the word of God in your soul is not tangible. You can't touch it. But you can apply it. It can reflect in your life. That's the only thing you take out. Every other thing. I don't care what you, you know, like I always say, uh, even any time I do my funeral, uh, most of you should know, my funeral message doesn't really change. 
It's something I preach all the time, except, you know, tweak it here and depending on the person who is concerned. But other than that, the thing that I keep reminding people is, we're here. It's not a bit a dream. We're all going to wake up. And when we wake up, all we have is in the soul. Anything on this planet, not going anywhere with it. So all I'm saying is, you remember the assertion of First Timothy chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. It is First Timothy chapter six, beginning at verse seven. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. See, my understanding that if you if you wrap your mind around that. It doesn't mean you're not going to struggle, labor, to enjoy material things. It's not that. It's that you put it in perspective. He says, but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In other words, the way you pierce yourself with many griefs is to put God secondary and pursuit of material things primary. When you do that, you are piercing yourself with grace. So that's the first fact is that material possessions are not transferable. Second fact, you should remember that God will never leave you stranded on this planet according to the promise of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. Hebrews chapter 13 Verse 5. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It is keep your lives free from the love of money and be content. With what you have. Because God has said. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Now there are really two implications. Of remembering this passage of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5. First. You should be content. With what you have. Now I always have to elaborate on things. Being content doesn't mean 
Don't struggle to improve yourself. Doesn't mean that. It means even when you're struggling to prove your, improve yourself, you'll be content whatever the outcome is. Now, like I said, a person who lives on this planet without this constant yearning to improve himself or herself will be a person that this life is so boring to. You've got to have that burning desire to improve yourself in every way. And then, you'll be content with what God does with you. So, so that's the first thing, that you be content. Second, that you should not be afraid of the future. Should not be afraid of the future. You see, one reason we want to have more and more of things is that we never know how much we need for the future. We just don't know that. We are not certain that what we have will be enough for us in the future or in our old age. Therefore, we want to have more and more things. However, if we replace fear with the trust in the Lord and uncertainty with confidence, that the Lord will take care of us, then we will avoid greed. Now, it does not mean that you do not save for the future. Only that, you do not do so to the extent that it causes you to neglect God's instruction of being generous to those poorer than you are, or in support of the ministry. So the points we have made then can be summed up as you should not, I mean that you should trust in the Lord's ability to care of you, to take care of you, and you should realize that you are not taking anything out of this world. Those two facts. If you remember them, that should be really guard uh, rail against greed. So again, if you do, you'll guard against greed. Thus, when face them with the temptation to become greedy, you quickly apply these two facts as we have given them. If you apply them, you'll be protected from greed. Still, another way we obey the command do not be idolaters. Now, yes, you see what we're doing is you read that, don't be idolaters. You say, Yeah, I'm not an idolater. And you go back your way. And yet, you are walking around being one. So, by expanding it this way, you can understand what we're talking about. Anyway, so the Still another way, like I said, of obeying the command, do not be idolaters, is by avoidance of materialism. Now, by the way, we should be clear that by materialism, we do not mean the classical materialism that is 
a philosophical doctrine that states that matter is the ultimate reality from which all else emerges. Now, no believer will subscribe to the, this view of materialism and so not the kind of idolatry that concerns us. I'm saying that a believer should not, not, not normally subscribe to classical materialism. We say this because this classical doctrine of materialism is ultimately characterized by rejection of God the Creator. See, this view, which once a person does that, that view of rejecting the Creator is clearly condemned by the Scripture since only a fool takes the position there is no God. Now, I mean, I just... Of course, God's grace has to open people's eyes. I'm particularly amazed with physicians. How a physician can be an atheist, it blows my mind. How can you see the complex organs of the body? Know all it, how it functions? And say there's no one who created it? It just happened by chance? Oh no, it just, it's hard for me to grasp. But look at it. Such people are called fools. When they say that, there's no God. I'm not saying it by myself. I'm just quoting the scripture. Proverbs chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. Proverbs chapter 14, verses 1 and 2 reads. I mean, sorry, sorry, uh, that should be Psalms, sorry, it's not proper. Sorry, Psalms. Psalms 14, verses 1 and 2. Psalms chapter 14, verse 1 reads, The fool says in his heart there is no God. That's a fool, right? They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Furthermore, Anyone that holds to the classical materialism certainly will reject the concept of bodily resurrection. Is this kind of person that the Holy Spirit directed the argument of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 12 through 17? First Corinthians chapter fifteen verses twelve through seventeen. It reads 
But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. So anyone who believes in uh, classical materialism will go against it. I mean, Paul's argument implies that there is really a bodily resurrection which conflicts them with the doctrine of classical materialism that nothing exists beyond this life. Now this notwithstanding, the materialism that concerns us is that type we indicated is idolatry in the sense of ultimate allegiance directed toward material possessions. Hence, we indicated in our previous study, materialism should be understood as a desire to possess things at the expense of one's spiritual life. In other words, the desire to acquire wealth or power at any cost because one is in love with wealth or power than with God is what we meant by the materialism we're dealing with. Now this form of materialism is characterized by desire for wealth and gratification of self. That desire. Now this kind of thing, the Holy Spirit, through Apostle Paul described as what we find with those who deny bodily resurrection. As we read still in, in 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 20, uh, 32. First Corinthians 15, look at verse 32. He said, If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. See, that's the thinking of those who are materialistic. They don't believe in anything in this life. So they are the ones that say, enjoy life as they say. Go to party, drink and smoke and whatever you do. Just enjoy yourself. They don't think anything else is beyond this life. And that's what Paul is arguing. If there's nothing beyond this life, we're the most miserable people. And of course we're not. They will be the most miserable because if you're not involved in these things and you're as happy as you can be, 
then by false argument say, yeah, then we must be most miserable. Because we're not going to these excesses that people are going. But we're not. Anyway, so, it is this form of materialism that we stated is idolatry that really we are concerned. Then, those then using this understanding of materialism as idolatry, we are concerned with how a believer will obey the command of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7 that we are studying. Again, that command, do not be idolaters. Now, avoidance of idolatry in form of materialism begins with a believer and himself with knowledge of the pitfalls of materialism that should cause the individual to reject it and therefore does not become an idolater. First and foremost, the believer should recognize that the scripture condemns materialism in the way that we have defined it. Since the psalmist conveyed the destruction of the person that's involved in materialism in that the person places his trust in his wealth instead of God leading to destroying of others to get wealth. As in Psalms 52 verse 7. Psalms 52 verse 7. Psalms 52 verse 7. It is Here now is a man who did not make God his stronghold but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. In other words, this is the kind of person because material things are more important to that person, power and so forth, he or she doesn't matter how many people he or she destroys and the way of getting whatever it is the person wants to get. Now this aside, there are other negative things the believer should recognize regarding materialism. Now material things, of course, are not permanent be transitory as implied in Proverbs chapter 27 verse 24 Proverbs chapter 27 verse 24 all we're saying is Material things are not permanent, but transitory. So we read, For riches do not endure forever. That's transitory. It's not permanent. And a crown is not secure for all generations. So then, if wealth or riches are transitory, it's foolhardy to put wealth or riches over God who is eternal. Now this realization of the nature of material things should dissuade a believer 
from being involved in materialism in the form of putting material things over God. Another pitfall of materialism or pursuit of material things more than God is that materialism offers no true satisfaction in life. It does not offer true satisfaction in life. Now a person who chases wealth at the expense of the worship of God will discover that such does not satisfy hence the constant chase of wealth by people. The richest man in biblical history, Solomon, testified that wealth never brings satisfaction if one goes after it at the expense of the person's spiritual life as implied in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10. Now God chose uh, the richest, most powerful man in his time to talk about these things. This is a man had more money than anyone today. He had more women, 1,000 women, 700 wives and 300 concubines. Got servants. So he, he can be an authority. You can say, oh, Solomon, you don't know what you're talking about because X, Y, Z. You can even match him in every way. But look at what he says. So whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. Because we studied Ecclesiastes, it's on the website, we studied it in detail. Anyway, Solomon admitted that it is incomprehensible to him that a person would never find satisfaction with wealth and so continues to want more and more of it. That is not hard to see today. There are people just going about accumulating, accumulating. Something they will never finish in their lifetime. And yet they are so miserable. Anyway, God certainly ensures that any believer involved in materialism as a form of idolatry will never find satisfaction in it. Now this declaration we made is proved by inexperience of the Israelites who returned from Babylonian captivity as we may gather from Haggai chapter 1 verses 5 through 6. Haggai Chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. All I'm saying is, if you're a believer and you get involved in materialism, God will ensure that you never find satisfaction. That's all I'm saying. And here's why I say that. It's based on this passage. It says, Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, 
but you have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. See the situation here that Israel finds itself, it doesn't find no satisfaction in their material things. The reason is because God brought judgment on them for ignoring him while pursuing the material gain. The people ignored God in the sense that they did not put their resources in the rebuilding of the temple. They pursued their own desires for material things. Because of this, the Lord brought judgment on them so that they could not find satisfaction in what they possessed. I know many people today, what, what we read here as, as believers is true of them, but they don't do what, what is commanded here. Say, give careful thought to your ways. You're working as hard as you can. And you just don't, the ends just seem to be meeting, as they say. Have you ever really considered, what's the problem? I'm not lazy, but things are just not working out. Are you thinking about those things? That's what it means, consider carefully. I know most of our things go, oh, we just dismiss it, it's, it's just a chance happening, or whatever we call it, bad luck, or, you know, they dismiss it. I'm talking about Christians now, I'm not talking about unbelievers. Instead of saying, wait a minute now, the Lord is communicating. What is he telling me? So this is what he's saying to the Israelites. You walk and put your money in a, a pocket with hole in it. That means you put it for out. So you don't know where he went. All because they ignore God and will pursue material things. So the implication then is this, that if a believer gets involved in materialism as a form of idolatry, the person will not find satisfaction in material things, and so it does not make sense to pursue material things at the expense of worshipping God. Another pitfall of materialism is that it could cause a person to be distracted from true devotion to God. Does God warn Israel about it through Moses, as implied in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 13 and 14? Deuteronomy Chapter 8, verses 13 and 14. I'm looking at time. It's time for break. And we'll pick it up after break. <laughs> 